0: the Lord. This is Dr. Ruth. I want to thank all of you who have supported us and continue to support us financially with your donations so we can produce uh, these uh, podcast teachings to bless many, many others. I am thanking you uh, from the bottom of my heart and I know that the Lord is blessing you back. And if you have not yet uh Bless us with a financial donation, please consider doing so so that we can pay for studio time to produce more teachings and uh, reach many, many more people. Uh, To donate into this podcast ministry is really simple. We have a safe and secure website. Here is the address for your donation. Uh, The address is slash donate. Again, DrRuthTanyi.org slash donate. And if you live here in the USA, you can use Zelle. And here is a Zelle telephone number where you can send in your donations. It is 909-501-9031. Again, 909 501 9031 we also receive donations through cash app here is the cash app address is the dollar sign dr ruth tanyi again the dollar sign dr ruth tanyi and from the bottom of our hearts here at the ministry we say thank you for your donations and we are trusting god will bless you back even as you join hands with god and our ministry to advance his work. Again, we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Welcome today. We now continue with more teaching. Here is Dr. Ruth. Okay. We are moving right along here in the book of Deuteronomy. In today's episode, uh, we will take a closer look at chapters 14 and 15. I am Dr. Ruth. I am glad that you are with me today so we can learn what the Lord will teach us so that we can grow. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. So let us begin here. If you have your Bibles, open Deuteronomy chapter 14. If you do not have your Bibles and you are driving, you can just listen along. So Deuteronomy chapter 14, what is the gist of this chapter? Here we will learn how Moses uh, would reiterate to the second generation Israelites laws about clean and unclean foods. If you recall, we already discussed this in Leviticus chapter 11 verses 1 through 23. So I recommend that you go back and re-listen to that. But before I even delve into some of these verses, let us go over the major principles why the Lord had to give them, them referring to the Israelites, the law for clean versus unclean foods. If you recall from Leviticus chapter 11, I talked about how it was part of the Lord setting the nation of Israel apart. Okay? Setting them apart from the pagan nations. And also, the second uh, major principle for the clean versus unclean foods is because some of the pagan nations used certain types of animals during their pagan worship. So the true living God was prohibiting the Israelites from eating certain types of food and even animals because that was what the pagan nations did. And also, the third major principle is just that of obedience. That way, the Israelites could just learn how to obey the laws of God. So, with that said verses 3 through 20 here in this chapter 14 will go into details about the clean and unclean animals or foods i will not go over all of this in details because i already covered this in the book of leviticus so i recommend that you go back and re-listen to leviticus chapter 11. but let us begin here by taking a closer look at some verses I begin with verse 1. You are the children of the Lord your God. Do not cut yourselves or shave the front of your heads for the dead. Right away, this was an ordinance that the Lord had to give the Israelites because the pagan nations did things like this. Okay? The pagan nations shaved the front of their heads. Uh, for the dead. So the Lord was prohibiting the Israelites that when they get into the promised land, they should not carry out this practice. Again, just setting them apart from the other pagan nations. Verse 2 For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. Out of all the peoples on the face of the earth, the Lord has chosen you to be his treasured possession. Again, just like what I was saying, the Lord is was setting them apart from the pagan nations so they were not to shave their hair in that manner now we come to verse 3 and the rest of these verses that would begin to highlight the clean versus unclean foods let let us take a look at some of these verses here verse 3 do not eat any detestable thing Verse 4, these are the animals you may eat, the ox, the sheep, the goat. Verse 5, the deer and uh, the rest of uh, the animals are listed there. We come to verse 6. You may eat any animal that has a divided hoof and that chews the cord. Again, just distincting. Certain types of animals for the Israelites not to eat because the pagan nations used such animals for their pagan worship. Verse 7. The Lord is telling telling them the type or types of animals they may not eat, such as the rabbit or the heraxe. We come to verse 8. The pig is also listed as unclean. They should not eat that. We come to verse 9. The Lord is telling them. That they may eat. Living creatures in the water. Those that have fins and scales. Verse 10. But those. That. That have no fins or scales, they are not to eat. Verse 11, the Lord went on to talk about different types of birds, those they can and cannot eat. You can read those there in verse 11, verse 13, and verse 15. It's just listing the different types of birds. In verse 16, again, the same. Listing the different types of birds. We come down to verse 19. The flying insects are unclean. We come to verse 21. They are not to eat anything that is already dead. Again, another reason for them not to. Or another reason for the laws pertaining to clean versus unclean was also hygiene. Okay. Obviously, if they were to eat certain types of animals that were already dead, some of these uh, dead animals actually were poisonous because they ate off of other animals. So this was also to protect them health-wise. We come down to the end of um, verse 21 there. Do not cook a young goat in his mother's milk. There are two major reasons for this, or Bible scholars have discussed two possible reasons for this. The obvious one, number one, was because the pagan nations engaged in this practice. The second possible reason is that a young goat in its mother's milk represents life. So by prohibiting the Israelites to not cook a young goat In his mother's milk, that was highlighting respect for life. So those were the two reasons, or those are the two reasons that some Bible scholars are stating for that ordinance right there. We come to verse 22, verses 22, all the way to the end of this chapter, we'll focus on tithing. Let's take a closer look at some of these verses here, beginning with verse 22. Be sure to set aside a tenth of all that your fields produce each year. God is giving them specific instructions and Moses is reiterating to the second generation Israelites how the tithing ordinance has to be carried out when they get into the promised land. Eat the thighs of your grain, new wine and olive oil, and the firstborn of your heads and flocks in the presence of the Lord your God at the place he would choose as a dwelling for his name. Again, we talked about this earlier, that they were to eat the grain and the heads and flocks of their thighting and their sacrifices in that special place that the Lord would appoint for them. And in verses 24, all the way to verse 26 there, the Lord uh, went on to tell Moses to tell them, and Moses went on to reiterate how if they are unable for one reason or the other to go to that special place that the Lord would assign for them to Offer their sacrifices and eat part of their tithing. If for some reason they cannot get there because distance was too long or for any other reason, the Lord went on in verses 24 and 25 and even 26 to explain how they can exchange their tithing for silver and That way they will still be obeying the Lord. You can read those verses on your own. We come to verse 27. And do not neglect the Levites living in your towns, for they have no allotment or inheritance. So verse 27, uh, Moses is reminding the second generation Israelites not to forget to care for the Levites through their tithing. And in the next few verses, we will be giving details how they are to do that. Verse 28, at the end of every three years, bring all the tithes of that year's produce and store it in your towns. So we are learning already different types of tithing here. Here, every three years or at the end of every three years, they have to bring their tithing. To a specific place, okay, designated by the Lord, okay, in their towns, verse twenty nine, so that the Levites, who have no allotment or inheritance of their own, and the foreigners and the fatherless and the widows who live in their towns may may feed off of those tidings. So that brings us to the end of that. Chapter, but let's go back and talk about tithing here. So we see how there were different types of tithing. Number one, each of the Israelites were responsible to give a tithe. Okay, we talked about that in preceding chapters and verses, and now we are also learning that at the end of every three years, they have to bring their tithe in to the town that they live. And this tithing was supposed to take care of the Levites and the fatherless and the widows and the foreigners that was living with them or among them in their town or cities. This is important because, like I said earlier, back then the nation of Israel was a theocracy. So the country was supposed to be ruled and governed by the commandments that the Lord had given to Moses. So the tidings that they would bring would take care of the poor, the fatherless, the Levites. That way, especially the Levites who could not have jobs outside the sanctuary or outside the temple, did not have to worry about how they would care for their families. So the tithing was supposed to help them. And we also are learning, obviously, like I have talked about, God's love and heart for the poor, the foreigner, the fatherless, the widows. So the tithing that the people would bring was supposed to care for everybody else who did not have enough. That way, no one would suffer the consequences of poverty. Okay? And this uh, principle is still in operation, whereby the tidings are still supposed to help to support the priests, the ministers. And you have to understand that the Levites, really, back then were the ones who walked at the sanctuary or the temple. They taught the people God's laws, God's ordinances. That's all they did. In today's language, you could equate that to the ministers, the priests, and the pastors who work diligently to study the scriptures, to teach others. The principle is still the same. The tithing that we give to our local churches Are supposed to help care for the ministers, the pastors, and the poor, and support other godly endeavors such as missionaries, all right, the homeless, the poor. That is why it is so important that we give our tithing to our local church. I know today in the New Testament, People really struggle with that. People would often say, well, Jesus Christ has fulfilled all of the Old Testament laws. Do I still have to thide? Yes, you do. Jesus Christ himself talked about thiding when he accused the Pharisees of giving all of the thiding, but yet they didn't care or they didn't have the heart of God to carry his ordinances with love. They were only giving their tithing outwardly to impress others, but their heart was not with God. So as New Testament believers, do we still have to tithe? Yes. But like we are told in 2 Corinthians that God loves a cheerful giver. We give as we are led by the Lord. 10% Is just like a guideline to help us to give back to the Lord what he has blessed us with. Really, we should give as we are led by the Lord and we should give in accordance with what we have. Because God loves a cheerful giver. Some people, 10% is a burden. They cannot afford that. Well, give what you can to the Lord. For others... 10% 10% is really uh, is insufficient because some of you are very wealthy. Well, maybe for you it could be 20%, it could be 30% or however you are led by the Lord. And and this tithing is not just really money, it is also your service to the Lord. And and going back to money, the principle here is that When we give our tithing to our local churches and when we give our offerings to God's work, that is also a way of us expressing our love for God. Because when we give regularly to the work of God, it means that we are thinking about God constantly. Okay? It means that we are looking at God as our priority when we get paid the first thing that should come to our minds should be how much can I give the Lord when we give to God regularly because we love God that is also helping us training us to look at God as really our provider because we're giving back to him whatever we have Okay, but tithing today should not be done as a religious do's and don't. It should come from the heart. Those people who truly give to the work of God regularly are people who truly love God. They don't give it grudgingly. They don't give it complaining. The moment they get paid, they think about the Lord, they give to the Lord because God is truly our provider. God does not need our money. When we give to the Lord, it shows that we trust him. It shows that we love God and we are giving to his church so that his work can be advanced here on the earth. God has no other system to advance his work except through people giving and people volunteering to serve. So, yes, we still do need to thide today out of love, out of trust in God, because he has blessed us abundantly. All right. So that is what I really wanted to highlight about tithing. That uh, brings us to the end of chapter 14. We go right away into chapter 15 of the book of Deuteronomy, which Uh, Moses would reiterate the year of Jubilee to the second generation Israelites. We had talked about this in the book of Leviticus, chapter 25. So I recommend that you go back and re-listen to that. But before I even talk about this, Bible scholars uh, say that there is no evidence, evidence rather, at least in the scriptures, or in the history of the nation of Israel, that the year of Jubilee actually took place. But the principle, like I discussed in the book of Leviticus, the principle for the year of Jubilee, or the year for canceling debt, was so that it would prevent the nation of Israel from getting into poverty. That way, everybody is blessed, the rich and the poor. That way, wealth is redistributed. That way, everyone feels important. Everyone feels a sense of freedom, a sense of liberty. Everyone experienced a sense of love. Okay? But like I said, This probably never took place, but the principle behind it was awesome. Obviously, everything from the Lord is awesome. So, with that brief background, let's take a closer look at certain verses here. Verse 1 out of Deuteronomy chapter 15. At the end of every seven years, you must cancel debts. Verse 2. This is how it is to be done. Every creditor shall cancel any loan they have made to a fellow Israelite. Right away, if this was done, it would have promoted just a just freedom from not owing somebody. Just think about that yourself. Today, most Americans are in debt up to their throats from credit card, school loan. Imagine if after seven years, all of your debt was canceled. Think about that joy in your heart. Think about that freedom. Wow. Okay, so uh, they shall not require payment from anyone among their own people because the Lord's time for canceling debt has been proclaimed. Verse 3, you may require payment from a foreigner, but you must cancel any debt your fellow Israelite owes you. Again, this was really pertaining to the nation of Israel to redistribute the wealth. So we see here how the Lord was saying that this does not pertain to a foreigner, but to the nation of Israel or to the Israelite. Verse 4, we are beginning to get into the reason now, just like I had explained. However, there need be no poor people among you, for in the land the Lord your God is giving you to possess as your inheritance, he will richly bless you. So here we see how the, the reasoning behind this debt cancellation was to avoid permanent poverty. Verse 5, if only you fully obey the Lord your God and are careful to follow all these commandments I am giving you today. For the Lord your God will bless you as he promised. And you will lend to many nations but will borrow from none. You will rule over many nations but none will rule over you. So again, we see Moses telling them, if you obey the Lord, if you cancel the debt of your fellow Israelites, you will be rich. Other nations will come and and borrow from you. You're going to rule over other nations. This would have really heightened the wealth of the nation of Israel to the extent that other nations would come and borrow from them. That is what that is saying. And verse 7, the Lord went on to talk about how the Israelites should not be greedy or stingy towards their fellow Israelites. Okay, they should be open-handed. That is in verse 8. And in verse 9, the Lord went on to warn them that they should not harbor any wicked thoughts of being tight-fisted or having a hardened heart towards their fellow Israelites. For that is considered a sin towards the Lord that the debt has to be canceled in the seventh year. Wow. We come to verse 10. Give generously to them, referring to the poor, and do so without a grudging heart. Then, because of this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your works and in everything you put your hand to. Verse 11, there will always be poor people in the land. Therefore, I command you to be open-handed toward your fellow Israelites who are poor and needy in your land. This is powerful. Again, we see the heart of God for the poor. And this principle carries over to the New Testament. Uh, Jesus talked about the fact that the poor will always be with us, but we have to care for the poor. And for the widowed and for for the sick. Even in the New Testament, the book of James, chapter 1, talks about caring for the poor. So, So God has made provisions for us, his church, his children, i.e. all of those who call ourselves Christians, to care for the poor. All right? So let me ask you, how do you view the poor people? You see... Because sometimes, when people see those who are struggling, it could be permanently, it could be temporary, some people quickly conclude that some people are poor because they make wrong choices. Or some people quickly conclude that some people are poor because they are lazy. That is not always the case. We will always have the poor. We live in a fallen world. This world is not God's best. So those of us who are doing better financially, emotionally, we have to consider the poor because God has to work through us to help them. So when we change the way we view the poor, that will help us to care for them. So next time you see a poor person, a homeless person, Don't quickly assume that they are that way because of wrong decisions. Probably some of them, yes, but that is irrelevant to God. We have to help and let God deal with their decisions that led them to poverty, if that was the case. Our role as Christians is to help the poor in any manner that we are able to. Because the Lord has made provision for the poor. Okay? So we should really, really consider how we treat the poor. And most churches today have provisions for the poor. They have programs for the poor. However, if you go to a church that doesn't have such a program, you can start one. Really, you can just start one. It's, it's not difficult. There are poor people all around us today. But I really wanted to highlight that God takes it seriously when we ignore the poor. God is not pleased. If we call ourselves Christians, we should take to heart what the Lord takes to heart and care for the poor around us and not judge them. Okay. So we come to the remainder of the verses here in chapter 15, verses 12, All the way to verse 18, we talk about freeing the slaves or freeing the servants during the year of Jubilee. I discussed this in Exodus chapter 21, verses 2 through 6, and I also discussed this in Leviticus chapter 25, verses 38 through 55. You can go back and re-listen to that. So let us highlight just a few verses here. Verse 12, if any of your people, Hebrew men or women, sell themselves to you and serve you six years, in the seventh year, you must let them go free. Again, the Lord went on to explain how the Israelites have to release their slaves on the seventh year, especially if their slaves is one of their fellow brother or sister, Hebrew man or woman. Again, as part of this year of Jubilee, the slaves were to be freed. And um, verses 13 went on to talk about freeing them. And verse 15 talks about how the uh, richer Israelites should free the slaves because the Lord freed them from slavery in Egypt. Okay? Verse uh, 16 talks about if the slave refuses to be freed, or if they choose to stay with the master. Verse 17 talks about how they have the, the slave's earlobe has to be pierced through, uh, symbolizing that him or her decided to stay with the master. Verse 18. Do not consider it a hardship to set your servant free. Again, the Lord is reminding them that let the, the slaves go if they want to go. Don't consider it too difficult. Okay? Because their service to you these six years has been worth twice as much as that of a hired hand. Again, the Lord just telling them that at that year of Jubilee, they ha- they must release the slaves... They should not be struggling to carry that ordinance because the slave or slaves had offered a lot of services to them in the six years that they were slaves to the masters. And just think about the freedom and liberty that the slaves would experience on that seventh year being freed Boy, God had the best plans for the nation of Israel had this taken place. Imagine today, even as Christians, the liberty that we enjoy, that Jesus Christ has purchased for us with his precious, spotless, sinless blood. Today, as New Testament believers, we have freedom and liberty to go to God directly in the name of Jesus. And petition God. Today, as New Testament believers, we have freedom to worship God anywhere we want. Remember how in the previous chapters I was talking about how the Lord had told the Israelites that they can only worship him in specific areas. But today, as New Testament believers, we have freedom to worship God wherever we want. We have freedom to serve God. We have freedom to call God our Father. And he has adopted us into his kingdom. And we have been given the right to call him our Father. And he has sent his spirit into our hearts. Crying, Abba Father. Think about the freedom as a Christian today. Put yourself in the shoes of these slaves who were freed after seven years of bondage or after seven years of being a slave. Think about how it was freeing to them, how they were happy. We have that happiness today, except we have it permanently in Christ We have that liberty today, except we have it permanent in Christ. We have that liberty today to overcome the evilness that is plaguing this world. We have the liberty and freedom to overcome the lies and deception of Satan. We have the freedom today to go to God directly. Glory to God. Isn't that awesome? What Christ has done to us to give us that freedom and that liberty permanently, okay? Not temporary. Hallelujah. All right. So we come towards the end of chapter 15 here, verses 19 all the way to the end of this chapter. The Lord would speak to the second generation Israelites through Moses about consecrating the firstborn animal for himself okay we come to verse 21 the lord would give specific instructions again how it has to how it has to be a perfect animal a spotless animal of course all of that was a foreshadow of christ jesus the perfect lamb of god in verse 22, again highlighting how the Israelites were to eat the sacrifices in a specific place assigned by God. Verse 23, again highlighting how they cannot eat the blood from the animal. So that brings us to the end of chapter 15. So what are the major principles and applications we have learned from chapters 14 and 15? Principle number one, consecration. I talked about that. The clean versus unclean foods or the clean versus the unclean animals. How the Lord used that as a way to set the nation of Israel apart. And how some of the pagan nations used Certain types of animals as part of their idolatry, worship of their pagan gods. So the Lord had to distinguish between the clean and unclean animal. All of that being a part of setting the nation of Israel apart. Okay. Major principle number two, I talked about the principle of fighting. Okay, I spent uh, quite some time explaining that. Hopefully you recall. And then, of course, the fourth principle is that of freedom. So what are the measure applications here? Freedom in Christ. I talked about that already. How we can go directly to God in the name of Jesus Christ. We have that freedom which the Old Testament people did not enjoy. We can call God our Father. We have freedom from the hands of Satan, the evil evil one. We've been freed. We've been delivered from the kingdom of darkness. Our freedom in in Christ is permanent. It is eternal. But we cannot abuse our freedom. We cannot abuse God's grace because God is watching. And if we dare to abuse our freedom in Christ and practice sin, Guess what? The enemy will sneak into our lives and and kill, destroy, and devour us. That is out of John 10.10. So we should use our freedom to elevate Christ, to bring many to his kingdom, and to glorify his name. Okay. Uh, With regards to the principle of thiding, I talked about how In this New Testament era, we give out of love for God. We give because we trust God. And Jesus teaches us in Matthew 6, 21, that where your treasure is, there your heart will be. The way we give to God tells a lot about our heart towards God. That is the bottom line. I know some people don't like that, but you know what? It's true. That's what Jesus said. It's true. Do you think of God first when you get paid, or do you think of God last? If you think of God first, God is your priority. If you think of God last, God is not your priority. I'm sorry. You see, so this principle of tithing is so important because it helps us to keep focus on God. Even though we should never approach tithing as, as a religious do's and don'ts, but when we truly love God, we want to give to God. Okay? Because that's where our heart is. God loves a cheerful giver. I talked about that. That is out of 2 Corinthians 9. Okay, and um, again, the last application here is that as Christians today, we are living a consecrated and dedicated life as unto the Lord. So that brings us to the end of the principles and applications out of chapters 14 and 15. Father God, you are such a good God. You are such an awesome God to have blessed us with such freedom and liberty in Christ. Help us, Holy Spirit, not to abuse the freedom that we have in Christ. To call you, our Father, to come to you directly in the name of Jesus. The freedom to be led and guided by the Holy Spirit. The freedom that has delivered us from the hands of the evil one, Satan himself. We thank you for that freedom. Teach us how to glorify you in our actions, in our words, and in everything we do. Father, you are a good God. For all the listeners today, I pray that the principles we've learned today, that your Holy Spirit will quicken their hearts and teach them personally how to apply it into their lives. Because it is only when we apply these principles into our lives can we then see godly results that will glorify you. We want to do your will. Help us today. Strengthen us, Holy Spirit. We thank you. For by faith we believe this prayer is answered. In Jesus' name, everybody says, Amen. So as you proceed with your day today, remember that God is with you always, enabling you to overcome in Jesus' name. I am Chris Oram. Stay blessed and bye for now.